Welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Mikey Taylor. Mikey is a serial entrepreneur. He first found success with nearly two decades of professional skateboarding. Throughout his career, Mikey held lucrative sponsorship contracts with DC Shoe, GoPro, Alien Workshop. And during these successes, Mikey was already thinking about life after skateboarding. Uh, he co-founded St. Archer Brewing Company, which was later acquired by Miller Coors Light. Uh, Miller Coors Company, uh, and uh, Mikey co-founded Sovereign Skateboards and Avni Intelligent, which is an entrepreneur education platform and podcast. And Mikey is the current president and managing principal of Commune Capital, a private equity real estate investment firm. Mikey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And today, I also had the pleasure of having Josh Smith with uh, Flip System, and I have Antoine, of course, my co-host and uh, business partner and all that good stuff. Uh, so, Mikey, yeah, again, welcome to the show. So, tell us a little bit about kind of like your uh, kind of like your your career, I would say, as a skateboarder. I think, I, you know, we talked earlier about uh, kind of like being pro- like how professional athletes are kind of thinking differently. You mm-hmm. have to be self-disciplined. You have to be uh, self-reliant and right. all that good stuff. So, let's talk about that and how people that are listening can kind of incorporate that in their lifestyle so that they can go to the next level. Okay, so uh, I'm going to start by saying the <laughs> thing that brought me success, th- there's challenges with this as well. Yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll unpack that. But I- I'm a I'm an obsessive personality. Like anything I get into, I get all the way into it. There's no like middle ground for me. Uh, even since I was young, it was always kind of nuke or nothing. And so skateboarding was one of those things that like I got into it. I got completely into it and it was so difficult that I couldn't master it. And Mm -hmm. and that was why skateboarding lasted so long for me, where I would get into things as a kid, feel like I kind of hit the ceiling and then lost interest. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, I have to have challenge to keep my interest. Yeah. And skateboarding, I just tried it for like 30 years, every single day. I just just couldn't (laughs) master it. So I was like obsessed with trying to, get to the top yeah and the top was unachievable mm-hmm. and that's why it just i think drove yeah. me into doing it so long yeah uh now the challenge being with that personality is uh there's <laughs> more to life than one singular thing and you know when you know dating and then marriage and then kids came into the picture uh that brought out a whole new type of challenge yeah yeah, yeah. So dating, you're all in and also and stuff like that? So. No, so that's my next problem. Uh, for me, it's it, I'm, I'm all in on one thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I cannot be all in on multiple. Okay, it's, okay. This is it. Okay. And so, you know, when I started dating, my, you know, who's my current wife now, skateboarding was number one. And if it was like up here, she was like a far distant second. Oh, really? And wow. that was tough. That was a, that was a, yeah. that, that took us years of trying to, took me years of yeah. trying to figure out, yeah. you know, yeah. how to, how to responsibly do that. Yeah. So there's a fine line between focus and obsession. So yes. which one, where, which part are you on? Uh, <laughs> I know the answer. I'm, I think, I'm feeling. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> trending towards obsession. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it like look. I'm getting better at, at you know it's it's been years of me learning how to manage it correctly. Yeah, yeah. But it's obsession. Like yeah. it, it's you know it, it when I'm obsessed with something, that's when the focus comes in, and that's yeah. where it becomes very kind of tunnel like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that must have been difficult then, because I think a part of my my intro and my what I had read about you was that uh, it's like. But you were completely, uh, you know, uh, uh, absorbed by skateboarding. But then you were still kind of thinking that, you know, one day this this dream is going to end, and I'm going to have to find do something real or something. Right. So, so you were already thinking about, okay, well, what's the next step? Like, what am I going to do? So that must be challenging. Okay, so you're you're right, but I wasn't like, I wasn't 19 years old yes. going. I need to build this master plan now. Yeah. And by 25, I'm going have a business. And by 30, I'm going to have kids. It, it wasn't like that. I, I was just so scared of what life after skateboarding was going to look like. Yeah, yeah. That that fear just drove action out of me. Mm-hmm. I had great guidance, but where the obsession all came to one was my plan as a, yeah, as a kid was live off a fraction of what I was making mm-hmm. so that I could 
basically maximize all of the dollars I had into assets, right? Into investing. Now, the discipline aspect of that fit into the skateboarding side of discipline. Like I was okay with, okay, my focus is skateboarding. I want to do this 24-7. If that means, you know, financially, it's I live off basically top ramen or I mean, just eating fast food. I'm just skating 24 seven, then fine. Yeah. Yeah. I could do that. Now what I was investing in, it wasn't me at that time. Mm-hmm. I had somebody come in and was helping me invest. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So it was starting with the behavioral side, him helping me build out a plan and then me focusing on skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't until I started wanting to get more into the business side of skateboarding where I started then getting more involved in what we were investing in. That, that okay. took years to get to. Oh, okay, okay. And I think too, like it's very, I grew up skateboarding as well. Like yeah, from me too. Like 12 years old all the way up to, I don't know, 18, 19. I tried yeah. it, I fell and I said, I didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> but it's like very, it's very much that same mentality. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm not going home until I land this. Right. I'm not like, until it's all that obsessive. My ankles on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very obsessive. And like, you don't care, you'll like, you don't care about your girlfriend. You don't care about your parents. Right. It's all just how much time can I skateboard every single day? Right. No matter how much money it makes. Yeah. Me. And then I remember the kids growing up who were had a little sponsor here or whatever. Yeah. We're like, oh, you hit the jackpot. Right. Yeah, you, you did. Got free Nikes. <laughs> like, yeah. you know. So it's, it's crazy. <laughs> like, And maybe that's part of the reason, too, Like, that you have that it, obsession. It, it is. And I would say the, the follow-on is I'm a routine person. Like, yeah. I, I really like routine. So mm-hmm. with skateboarding, it was really, you know, easy to get into the system. Yeah. You know, wake up, I'd go skate in the garage before school. Then I'd go to school. We'd have our lunch break. We'd go skate, get out of school, homework, skate. It was just like yeah. Yeah. every day was the same. And I'm, I'm totally good with Groundhog's Day. Yeah. And then when I got a little bit older and I started traveling, the, 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 the budget side of it felt the same. It was, this is my routine. This is what I live on. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. control my lifestyle. Let's see how disciplined I am. And almost just gamified it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's why, you know, a lot of, a lot of professional athletes and, yeah. you know, even like not necessarily professional, but athletes, people that are doing a lot of sports at a higher level and they're competing with other people or themselves, that you have to have the discipline and that, that, that thing. I think this is something that's yeah. great. And the routine is, is part of that because you get up, you kind of like a, a robot and say, okay, well, I, I wake up, I you go to the gym. That's just what you do. You don't question it. Right. This is the routine. I don't question it. And then the, ideally your whole family is on board to say, Oh, and then if you don't, if you don't get up at six to go in the gym, say, Hey, aren't you supposed to go to the gym? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. Having that accountability. Yeah. yeah. With, 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 with sports, there's, there's, you know, there's certain people that have more talent than mm-hmm. others, mm-hmm. but it's not the talent that makes somebody a professional. Yeah. It really just yeah. comes down to the person yeah. being willing to do more than the person next to them. Yeah. Exactly. That's really it. Yeah. And you know, when you're talking about, I get up at say 4.30 every single morning and the mornings I do not feel like doing it. I still do it. And yeah. It's all those yeah. little things yeah. is where the separation is created. That's right. Yeah. And then you, you know, talk to pro athletes and they all sound the same. Yeah. They're all yeah. obsessive and yeah. disciplined and yeah. you know, there's a model to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's funny. We were, before you came, we were talking about this. Well, because I have a huge sports background too and played professional volleyball overseas in Europe. Um, but we were talking about the concept of winning. That's exactly what you just said of that desire kind of, you know, you, you have that thing in your brain as well, where you're willing to endure that pain when you wake up at four 30 for months in a row. And you have that day where, God, do I really have to do this? Why, (laughs) why am I doing this? Right. My body is killing me. Yeah. I've had surgery here, surgery there, done all this stuff, right? All the injuries I'm sure you have gone through mm-hmm. skateboarding as well, right? But I think I think the most successful athletes a lot of times are the most physically gifted ones. It's the ones who are mentally right. you know, in that situation or in that position mentally where they know what it takes to win and they can push themselves way more than the person next yeah. to you. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Kobe. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what he always Mama said. Mentality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So, th- so basically, at one point, so you were focused on skateboarding. Mm-hmm. Then you had it sounded like you had kind of like a manager, kind of that was kind of like mentor manager. Is that is that right? That was I, kind of like focusing on setting up other things. I had for a you after the fact, right? Yeah, he he was probably a one in three. He was a business manager, 
a financial advisor and a mentor. Okay. Would probably be the, the three things that he offered me. Yeah. And you know, it, it, the, the mentor part was probably the biggest one. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a lot of like financial advisors who are just like, oh yeah, give me your money and they're investing yeah, exactly. it and they're rebalancing yeah. and you have no clue what's going on. That's right, yeah. Thankfully for me, he spent time educating me and you know, like one of the first times I, I got with him, I was 19 years old. And he looks at me and goes, so when do you want to retire? I was like, well, I don't know. Like when my career ends? Yeah. He said, well, when is that? Uh-huh. I, like, I don't know. Five, 10 years. Okay. Well, if it's, you know, year 10, yeah. what are we living off of? And he started walking me through this process of what financial freedom actually was, mm-hmm. which I had no clue. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, if I think at that time I was making like, I don't know, two grand a month. Right, nothing. Mm-hmm. I was like, Randy, we could figure this out. Like, I could retire <laughs> yeah. like definitely in five years. <laughs> <laughs> right, but no, but yeah. even like having somebody go, do you want to get married? Mm-hmm. Do you want to have kids? Yeah. And and getting to a future idea of what my expenses potentially would look, mm-hmm. would look like, and then what I realistically needed to have invested to get to that number, considering all the things that could go wrong. Yeah. Right. What if we hit? Like we're in right now mm-hmm. and inflation is running rampant and all of a sudden, you know, we're yield starved and none of these things that were happening 10 years ago are at play. Yeah. Yeah. How do we solve for that? And just having that at a young age was huge. Like yeah. having somebody test me and go, yeah. when do you want to retire? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I had no clue. Yeah. Yeah. And then after, so when did the, 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 I mean, you basically had the other, the, the DC shoe uh, kind of deal and stuff like that. So that was kind of like the part of the skateboarding, I say. Mm-hmm. The, the, but then you invested in uh, or co-founded like uh, St. Archer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how did that come about? And was that the first thing after skateboarding? Like the it, first It was business? towards the tail end of skateboarding. Right, okay. So my whole plan originally, like when I sat with Randy was yeah. his name. When I was 19, it was, okay, I need to have a 10-year career. And I'm going to live like I'm broke for 10 years mm-hmm. and we're going to get as much invested in, you know, th- there was a split, but I wanted growth because I was young, but I wanted yeah. cash flow because yeah. I wanted to take control from the sponsors or my employer. Yeah. And that was the plan. And if I didn't get to financial freedom, the hope was I would have enough coming in from the side that would help me transition into the next mm-hmm. thing. That was our original plan. Yeah. Well, I end up getting my first shoe on a shoe company called DVS. Yeah. Oh, and DBS. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I used to have a lot of those. Yeah, so I'm, I'm running for the shoe company. They tell me I'm going to have my own shoe. And all of a sudden, I was introduced to product development and working with designers and, yeah. you know, sitting in meetings, trying to design a shoe. And once we had a design, then all of a sudden, I'm working with the sales team and the marketing team and figuring out how you got this product to basically get picked up and sold through. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed that process. And then when my shoe basically came out, I really started looking at my, let's call it my brand, yeah. differently. Yeah, yeah. Now I was looking at it through the lens of like, how do I resonate with more kids so I can sell more shoes? Mm-hmm. And with that, it, it was like a drug for me. It was like, oh my gosh, That's I awesome. want more of this. Yeah, yeah. And, and basically I came up with this idea that I could be more than a skateboarder for DBS. I wanted yeah. to be, I didn't really know what it was, but I set up a meeting with the president and his name was Tim. I was like, Tim, I know I'm good at skateboarding, but I think I'm good at this too. Like, how do I be more involved in shoe designs and concepts and sales? And he looked at me and he was like, why don't you just skate? Like, why do you want to do all this? Yeah, yeah. And I know what he was trying to say to me. How I heard it was, all right, I'm done with DBS. I need to go find a new uh, shoe sponsor that will allow me to be this. Yeah. yeah. And then I got sponsored by this company, Etnies. Yeah. And the whole pitch for me was, you're going to help us rebuild our team. Uh-huh. And this is going to be your opportunity to help with marketing and help with shoe oh, design. That's really cool. Wow. Yeah. It was really cool. Except I <laughs> <laughs> realized that I had no skills built up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no clue what <laughs> yeah. I was doing. Yeah. So I basically walked into the shoe department thinking I was Steve Jobs. Yeah. And it was like this very like authoritarian, like we're doing this and, and I need, you know, this, this, and this, and this. And then like we would get samples and I'd see the samples and go, this is crap. I'm throwing, it was, it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. So, yeah. It was out of the movies. More right. Like Bezos, huh? Yeah. Exactly. It, it, it was yeah. bad. And so, <laughs> or, you know, the same thing. But, it, but it happened to me again where I got a call from the brand manager 
And he was like, I heard what happened in the design office today. That's awesome. And I was like, yeah, this is ridiculous, right? And he goes, Mikey, no. Like, you need to calm down. Like, you can't do that. Uh, like, this isn't how you handle working with people. Yeah. And I heard it the same way I heard the DBS president. I went, oh, they're always going to view me as a skater. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. all I will ever be if I'm trying to do this for someone else's company. Yeah. I need to start my own company. Yeah. Like, Thank God I heard it the wrong way because it led yeah. to something yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just didn't have one the skill, and I didn't think I had the mm-hmm. the wisdom at that point. So and that so that led me to start my own company. Was that and I re- oh. No, that was that. It, it actually ended up turning into Saint. What was Saint Archer? Oh, Saint Archer. oh, oh really? really? And so Etnies. That happens with Etnies, and I go, I'm done with Etnies. Mm-hmm. Quit Etnies to ride for DC. Yeah. And then I'm in this window, like I need to start a company. Like mm-hmm. I need this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was with, I was with Josh who ended up becoming my partner. We were filming a, a skate film and basically one thing led to another. And we just started talking about business. And that night we kind of randomly came up with this idea that we should do a beer company. Yeah. And he was as crazy you, as I were brewing beer before or no, he, like, no, I love uh, no. <laughs> it, it, we had no clue. What we were talking about was starting a business or a brand inside the skate industry that had never been done before. Mm -hmm. And the conversation was really around why do skaters always start the same type of companies? It's always skateboard companies, clothing brands, hat companies, rip tape, watches. It's all things that have been done. And so we started talking about like what ideas could be done that hadn't. And he just randomly threw out there. He's like, what about beer? No. And I was like, beer. Oh, and it was so wild. I was like, yes, <laughs> let's do beer. And I was already hot on this. Like, I need my own company. Yeah. And so that was basically the beginning of the idea. And then it took us probably, I would say, 16 to 18 months until we actually were able to bring it to reality. Mm-hmm. Wow. Man. Yeah. So that's that, cool. We, we looked at the brewing company. Yeah, that. we did. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah it's, uh, but we were, I was making beer and, you know, Anton too, we were making beer in the garage. I said, yeah, that'd be cool and stuff like that. Breaking bad style. Well, that's the, <laughs> that's the natural evolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The natural evolution is like you get into beer <laughs> and then you brew it in the garage and then, yeah. you know, you get the, you know, people around you yeah, start yeah, buying it. Then you move into the storage yeah, exactly. unit yeah, or the, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, you start yeah, expa- yeah, expanding. Exactly. But you didn't do that. No, we didn't do that. Uh, we knew nothing about beer. Yeah. But we had this idea of a brand. Drink, right? Yeah, right? You know what? We, <laughs> we drank beer, but we I think we were more obsessed with this idea of creating something that hadn't been yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, and in, cool. in the beginning, we originally looked at doing, uh, uh, like we were going to contract the brew. Like somebody yeah, else yeah, was going to make yeah, our yeah, beer. Yeah. We were just going to put our branding on it. Yeah. And our private labeling. Yeah. yeah. And we started going to other breweries or talking to breweries that would do this. And basically, we couldn't make any money doing it. Yeah. And that led us to kind of get to the point of going, if we're going to do this, we should do a production brewery. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, we didn't have enough money to start it. And then we had to go raise money. And then what size you want to get started with. That's so right. It yeah. makes sense financially. That's right. That's right. You know? So we went through that whole exercise oh, and yeah. it took us about a year and then we raised money to do it. And wow. then we opened doors. It so fast. It was uh, a year, 16 yeah. months. It was, yeah, it, it was fast. Uh, so, so my three partners, it was me, Paul Rodriguez and, uh, Josh Landon. P-Rod. Yeah. All oh, three wow. of us are obsessive. It, it, it's, we, we're all cut from the same cloth Yeah, and we were all naive nice. and thought anything was possible. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the perfect storm of, uh, we're going to do this. And yeah. we didn't, I mean, speed wise, we didn't know any better. We yeah, just yeah. were so used to yeah, it's, it's full awesome. throttle. Yeah. yeah. You know? Damn. And did you guys like look at your audiences that were, cause like, when I was skateboarding, I feel like everybody was below 21 yeah. and like would buy alcohol with like somebody else's ID and stuff right. like that. Did you guys look at your audiences that were following you as well and be like, oh, we can just market it to our own audiences and like a large percentage of your audience was over 21? Yeah, at that point, uh, let's see, when I started it, I was in my late 20s. Yeah. So it was Paul. And so we had this idea that probably a good percentage of our following was old enough to drink. Yeah. But it, we weren't looking at it through the lens of we're going to sell our beer to our audience. Oh. We're more looking at what other brands were doing using our likeness got it, got it, got it. to then apply that to an audience that didn't know who we were. Mm-hmm. And that was more the outlook. Gotcha. You know, we were like, if Monster 
can do this, if yeah, Red Bull can do this, why can't we do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, and that was the approach. That makes sense. Did you guys with St. Archer, did you sponsor any skaters? We didn't sponsor skaters. Uh, what we did was we needed money. Mm-hmm. We didn't have enough money to do it. So we pitched all of our friends. Yeah. And, you know, the majority of my friends were pro skaters. Same with Paul. My other partner was in the surf industry. So he was pitching surfers. And then it didn't take long for snowboarders to hear about it. And so when we raised all the money, we're looking at like, you know, what we had available. And I remember like, I think we had like $100,000 set for like our marketing budget, which in today's world is nothing. But back then it was like an astronomical amount of money. (laughs) And I can't remember who said it, but somebody just threw it out there. They were, you know, said something around the lines of, what if we don't spend money on marketing and we just use everybody's following on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And this was 2011. So there's no oh, influencer yeah. marketing. Yeah, the yeah. beginning. Of, you guys were the original influencers. It was, it was early. Not even by design. You we influenced We stepped into this. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, basically, Josh tallied everybody's followers up from our investors. And it was like 5 million followers. Oh, yeah. What and platforms were you guys it was on? Just, it was Instagram was oh, the Instagram, one. Right, Instagram right. was the one. Yeah, because that's right when Instagram was coming out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he was basically, we're going to make videos you know, two, three, four minute mini documentaries and everybody's going to post them on, on Instagram. Let's do it. And we started doing it and the thing just went nuts. That's awesome. Wow. Nuts. That's so cool. Yeah. It was cool. And then how many years did you guys run it before selling it? And We it basically totaled about three and a half years. That's wow. Yeah, it was wow. fast. We, we When we launched, it, it was very apparent that we had something special. Like yeah. off the, we knew this was like a unicorn you know, yeah, scenario. Yeah. yeah. And we had so much demand and it was just raise capital to build infrastructure, to be able to catch demand. And we, we, it was like, we would do this. And so, yeah, we, we had so much demand that we thought we had, uh, we thought we had a desirable uh, company for some of the bigger breweries like yeah, Wilson yeah. Or, yeah. or Budweiser mm-hmm. because they were trying to buy the cool craft beers yeah, yeah. because they were trying yeah. to build their own brands and they just were unsuccessful. That's right. And at that time, we had a nas- we had national brand awareness, but we couldn't fill the demand in California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had this idea that this was a dream scenario because yeah. somebody like Budweiser or Molson who has distribution unlock yeah. can buy a brand that has national exposure that's only in California and they'll be the runway to grow it and that's how they'll make their money. Yeah, yeah. And it ended up being right. We that's had awesome. all these brands fighting over us and it was, uh, it was yeah. crazy. Most of them would go on the on the angle of the microbrewery and they had like some yeah. special kind of like yeah. but that that's not that's so, not the uh, what you did here. You just basically you really focus on the brand, the community. So that's 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 what Instagram was was the the gasoline that mm-hmm. that exposed what we had and we didn't even realize it was something special. So every brand was doing exactly that. It was yeah. specialty beers, yeah. it was yeah, unique exactly. hops and fruits yeah, and yeah. you know very very <laughs> uh heavy yeah. IPAs, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And we were like we want beers that you can drink. Mm-hmm. And so we just created what we thought somebody could bring, you know, a six pack of and actually drink it. Yeah. And that is what ended up changing everything mm-hmm. because we were creating beer that you could drink at scale in the craft beer industry, not like yeah. drink, drink, drink at scale. scale. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Wow, that's genius. <laughs> <laughs> if we ever yeah. start a beer company, we're never making an IPA. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, think Saint about Archer. it. Yeah. Drink and stuff. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Think about it. I have a product. I sell you one idea. Well, yeah, you have yeah. one drink. You're done. Yeah, yeah. With ours, sense. you have three. Yeah, okay, yeah, so that's yeah. good. That's kind of like yeah. a Guinness. You have Even, a Guinness. You say, okay, well, one bowl, three Guinness. Jesus. You're done. But. So it ended up becoming session. Everybody started calling it sessionable Session. beers. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, we were just that. We were early on that one. That's wow. awesome. Wow. Yeah, you can have three and you're still not skating under the influence. So. That's <laughs> <laughs> why. Yeah, that did not come from me. That did not come from me. That's why we made St. Archer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love it. All right, so then you ended up selling that to uh, Miller's, uh, Miller's Coors. So that was, uh, that was a successful exit. But that was, was that the intention at the beginning to have that kind of exit? Or you were thinking of, was that cash flowing? Was it cash flowing? No. It, no okay, so the, the plan was to sell. The plan just wasn't that we were going to sell that fast. Okay, yeah. And what we realized when we had to raise money, well, take a step back. 
before we had to raise money, we had this dream that we would own this brand forever. Yeah. Right. We just didn't know what that meant, how to achieve it. And we also didn't know that when you go out to raise money, the first question an investor is going to yeah. ask is how do I get paid? Yeah. And you got to be pretty, not only clear, but convincing that you actually have the pathway to achieve that. Mm. We were not going to do that from a cash flow business. Mm. Our, our model was there is a moment in craft beer where you're seeing, I always say kids, but it's young adults starting to bring craft beer to parties. Mm. That, that It was starting to bleed over to the mainstream. Yeah. And there were also the, the big, big boys that were buying. And so we thought we had a window and, and because that window was potentially small, our model was step on the gas. Mm -hmm. It was step on the gas, grow and sell. Mm -hmm. And that was how investors were going to make money. Okay. We just weren't expecting, you know, from us opening doors the next day to have the demand we had. Wow. We thought it was going to be more like a traditional business, five years of trying to tell people who we are. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, putting the market product on the shelf. Thank you, Instagram. Yeah. Instagram was huge for <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, then did you guys sell through, like, could people go and buy? Because then I know you run into probably all the licensing and shipping issues and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Were people buying it right from your website it or could, California only, we right? We couldn't sell it direct. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was something. It's a, direct it's a to consumer. business to, to start. It's, it's so brutal. brutal. Yeah. It's so brutal. brutal. Well, there's a, yeah. there's a brewery now where people can go and, like, actually get drinks there or no with St. Archer. Yeah. Uh, there was, uh, most, most of course candid months, what, eight months ago. That's oh, what I thought. Cause uh, was it, was it in LA or San Diego? The brewer, the main brewery that we started was in San Diego. And then they had, I think two other tasting rooms that they, yeah. they did out there. Yeah. That's and yeah, then they had a tasting room at, the, at angel yeah. stadium. And they just, uh, unfortunately what the big, you know, Budweiser, most of course, what they do really well is they do things at scale where yeah. their distribution is, is yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. They don't understand brand. Mm -hmm. they, they, that's the part that they're challenged by. Yeah. So we gave them something that was very unique and I, I just don't think they knew what to do with it. Mm -hmm. wow. And so, you know, like social media, for example, social media was so much a part of what we were doing. Yeah. And when they bought the brand, they basically looked at social media, this is a waste of time, didn't yeah. do anything on it. Yeah, yeah. So you go from like your main drivers of brand awareness and then they just Gandit. Yeah. yeah. So how do you feel about that? Yeah. It's hard. It's awful. Yeah. yeah. You got the money. What's that? You got, you got the money. Well, you get, you get, you, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's your baby. Oh, yeah. Okay. You do. Yeah, okay. yeah you do. It, 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 yeah. Still fun with yours. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, look, yeah. you, you have this idea that you're going to sell it to a company like that and then you're going to see them it, make it, make take it, it to a map. Yeah. That yeah. you could never take it to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, often yeah. when they what they do, I mean, not necessarily malls and courts, but other acquisition, other types of acquisition, they they keep the executive team in place or right. founders in place to kind of like teach them yeah, how to. Going, yeah. Yeah, teach so going. was it a full buyout? Mm -hmm. wow. It was a full buyout, but it was staged. But it was a full buyout. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Excellent. And then, so what was the next step after that? So now you you're still you're working on Saint Archer and all of that. And I know somewhere along the way you're gonna go to community. Yeah capital and all that okay so what happens there we sell yeah and then everybody stays with saint archer for maybe a year or so and during that year was basically as my career was officially winding down mm -hmm. and so my career ends we all leave saint archer and my partner josh and saint archer wanted to stay in the beverage space mm -hmm. So he went out and created his next brand and beverage. He did a, he still does. It's, it's really successful, a seltzer brand. Mm -hmm. And then he has a ready to drink and now he's got, you know, beards. So there's a lot of different verticals to it. Yeah. Which brand is that? Uh, the seltzer is called Ashland. Oh yeah. Uh, the ready to drink is called Villager. Yeah, I've had all those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, for me personally, uh, I, I wanted, I wanted to do something different. Okay. And I think it was around th this idea that I think there's twofold. One was St. Archer. We, we found a, we found a model that worked, which was take the way we build brands and apply it to an industry that was behind the times yeah. from a marketing standpoint. Okay, okay. And I was concerned, at least for me, that I was going to run into the risk of doing something too similar in an industry that we had already yeah. tapped. Yeah. And, you know, what was good is Josh 
prove that to not be true, but mm -hmm. I was concerned about it. Yeah. And so I wanted to find an industry that was right for the, <laughs> you know, right to add this to where it would be disruptive. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then the second part is being the, the obsessive part of me. I can't just turn the obsessive on. That, mm -hmm. That's the, the thing I've never been able to figure out. Yeah. If you could tell me like, Mikey, get into, I don't know, what's a random industry that's boot. Yeah. <laughs> if you <laughs> said, Mikey, turn on pickleball, I turned it on. Oh, that'd be phenomenal. <laughs> can't. World's I have to have something player. grab yeah, me. Yeah. 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 And so it just so happened yeah. that uh, a conversation like with St. Archer led to the idea of starting a private equity firm mm -hmm grabbed my attention, then the obsession, then the industry was, it was beyond what the beer industry was from mm -hmm. a marketing standpoint. It was stale. Yeah, yeah. And then that was the, this is it. So oh, what, wow. what year is it that you officially launched your first fund with Commune? Oh, we officially launched our first fund in 2018 and that probably took a year and a half, uh, almost two years to, for the raise. No, of, Basically, the idea oh, and then okay. the business. Oh. For me, I, I, I know it now. It, no matter what, takes me 12 months from idea to, to launch yeah. at a minimum. I, 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 can, I can't do it oh, faster really? than that. Yeah. And so that one took a little bit longer than 12 months. Gotcha. And yeah. you guys are on fund number five. We're on right? fund five now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That just launched? Just launched, yeah. It just launched uh, about three weeks ago. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So it's been... Uh, but the, the good thing about being obsessive, you, it's all you want to do. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that brings some good stuff. Yeah, you found a much more lucrative obsession now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's yeah. right. So what do you do as 12 months to ramp up? And this is a significant amount of time uh, for us. Anyway. <laughs> what do you do during 12 months to get prepared? And uh, yes, yeah, to get prepared and ready for yeah, the launch. Or in your thesis. So, yeah, that's such, 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 such a good question. So my process at least i come up with the idea and then i need to test the idea before testing it to market there's you know i want to think of all the holes i start talking to people about it i'm trying to break the idea down mm -hmm. once i feel like i actually have something then i need to figure out how to how to actually bring the idea to reality that, yeah. that is you know by far the hardest part yeah and at that time i came up with the idea of what i wanted the brand and the mission to be mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about fund management. I knew nothing about yeah, it. Yeah. And so I started working on the business plan and I had a hole of what, what I needed for this side of it. And so it took me time just talking to people, educating myself to know what to do. And then once I figured out what the business plan was, then we had to actually go do it. Yeah. And, you know, and in real estate, well, it's not just real estate, it's like more private equity as a whole you have this dilemma of, do you find the deal and then raise capital mm -hmm. or do you raise capital then find the deal? Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. that's a, it's a hard thing it's to hard start balance. in. And so yeah. basically we picked, let's find the deal. Yeah. And then the deal took time to find. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. so just yeah. took what, time. Was your first fund a real, like a real estate fund or was it? And so your, cause you, you said something very interesting. Like what we learned with Archer was that we take all of our audiences and we apply it to an old model, right? Was that real estate funds or were you actually going to go and do that for different companies and raise money to help go? Really good. That's a really good question. Uh, the, okay. Like beer, we didn't change, uh, we didn't change the way beer was made. Yeah. We changed the way beer was marketed. Same thing for real estate. I didn't, we didn't change the way you invest. I wanted to change the way that really the younger generation viewed real estate investing. Got it. And so, you know, if you look at the typical fund structure, there was nothing unique about our fund structure. Um, I think we had a really good model in which we were going out to find good opportunity. Maybe that that was a little bit unique, um, but we weren't building we weren't building a new platform and a new experience on how you invest. And we weren't building other people's investments. Got it. it was more, here's our fund. And then how do we, how do we separate ourselves from the rest? And marketing was, I think by and large, the way we did that. Awesome. So was for that first fund was, were a lot of your investors from your guys existing network or what did you guys do to raise? Capital? Yeah, that's a good question. So the first fund we did was a multifamily fund. 
And then the first project was a project in Southern California. It was mm -hmm. a, oh, I remember. We, we bought it for about a little over $7 million. I think it, the total cost was 10. So at that point, I think we needed $3 million to yep. start. And basically I was like, we just came off an exit. Like I have a bunch of investors that I could tap into that we just, you know, yeah, paid yeah. a huge yeah. return to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not as easy as I thought. <laughs> it, it, raising capital was, so with, with St. Archer, we didn't have a, a tight timeline to raise. With real estate, you do. Yeah. You, you yeah. have to put a, a, yeah. a project yeah. under contract. Time. At that time, yeah. it was yeah. like, we had like 45 days. Yeah. 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 So we, you know, 45 days, do all the legal and raise all the capital. Yeah. And I remember being worried about that, but what I was surprised with was, in my perspective, real estate is so much safer mm -hmm. than three kids who know nothing about beer yeah. that are going to start a brewery, right? All the odds in the world that we're losing your money, not a lot of <laughs> chance of you, right? And so I was like, this is going to be a piece of cake to raise yeah. capital for. I was blown away with how difficult it was. Oh, yeah. It, there's a, when you're doing a startup, there's, you can sell a dream that you're going to 40X. I mean, it's yeah. like, you know. Yeah, you know, uh, big big multiples. Yeah, yeah, but when it comes to a fund, with well, just with volume. real estate, yeah. it, because it's a different risk. It's a risk adjusted return. Yeah, and a lot of my relationships were younger, and they had just yeah. with Saint Archer twelve x their investment, mm -hmm. and they're like, "You're going to give me a fifteen yeah. percent IRR? Yeah. <laughs> I want the I want the twelve x." Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. It was hard in the beginning. Yeah. Wow. So then where did you find success with raising capital for the first fund? Um, so there, there were investors that came from St. Archer. Uh, and, and I just went on a blitz. It, I, I, I went through this because skateboarding ended. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a part where I had to almost like find myself again. Like there's an identity part that yeah. you lose yeah. with pro sports. Why you see yeah. so many pro yeah. athletes. I experienced the same thing. It's brutal. When I quit volleyball. I was like, who am I? It's <laughs> what do it's I brutal. do now? Yeah. I, I think it's why you see so many pro athletes get old mm -hmm. and they're still living in oh, yeah. the years that they yeah. were. It's, it's, yeah. it's a difficult Absolutely. thing. Mm -hmm. I was working through that kind of emotional challenge. When I landed on it, this is what I'm going to build. I then had to basically tell everyone what I was doing yeah. because I was viewed as the pro skateboarder. Yeah, yeah. I, the pro skateboarder is not going to do any good for me with what I'm doing. Yeah. So I started going to basically every event I could go to. And I had to learn again how to network mm -hmm. and how yeah. to introduce myself to people and, and not be the guy that mm -hmm. everybody knew in every, you know, networking setting. Yeah. I had to learn how to walk up to somebody and go, hey, how are you? Yeah. What's your yeah. name? And, yeah. I, at 20 years, I, I was introduced for myself by someone. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah that's but, true. But your 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 method, I would say, is kind of like applying new marketing and branding to an old right. investment, right? So right. you did that through beer. What what I'm missing is kind of like how did how what is the new marketing? What is the new branding okay. about this? Fund? Really, really good question. So, and it's morphed a little bit, but okay. in the beginning, if you went to anybody's website. The website was for some other people's real estate funds or firms. It looked like an outdated business card. Mm -hmm. it, it looked terrible. Then if one of them did happen to have social media, which 99% of them didn't, mm -hmm. it was horrible as well. Yeah, yeah. And so our original idea was we're going to build our website to look like a, like a magazine. Mm -hmm. Like look, yeah. we go, I want to apply things that are hitting in youth culture. Mm -hmm. On real estate investing, yeah. very edgy, unique photos, how we were articulating what we were doing. It wasn't based on return. Mm -hmm. It was around this idea of creating the new American dream and, mm -hmm. and this idea that the youth can be interested and think investing is cool and actually want to tell their friends that mm -hmm. they're paying themselves first and they have assets yeah. and yeah. ultimately trying to make real estate cool is what yeah. we're attempting to do. Mm -hmm. And then when we went on to social media, we went heavy on every platform. Mm -hmm. Then when TikTok opened up, that became another one. Yeah. And we were trying to package content short form and trying to educate people mm -hmm. on how investing worked yeah. in a way that they would actually consume it. But are you were you focused on accredited investor at that point? Or were okay. You so, that, that, so here's the other part. We could only have accredited investors. Mm -hmm. at, at, 
redo there's an offering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at that time, we could only market to accredited investors. So if you looked at other people's way of doing it, they mm -hmm. only spoke to accredited investors. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. didn't. Yeah. We ultimately wanted to create a path, even yeah. if it had to be through education, where we could resonate with somebody who just started getting a job mm -hmm. and didn't even have enough money to even potentially save yeah. Yeah. all the way to a path of somebody who's accredited who could invest with us. Mm -hmm. And so what happened is our audience just started building and it became more of a place to learn about investing than just a real estate fund. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But we had a real estate offering to participate with. And, and my idea was I want to build a brand that has the ability to offer multiple different verticals, mm -hmm. not just in real estate. Yeah. Real estate is just the one that we are launching first. Yeah, I mean, your goal is is financial freedom, I think, right. and something like that, right. and educating right. the next generation on you know financial literacy right. and investing, all right. that. Right. And then, yeah, real estate is just just happens to be the best investment vehicle for doing that. Right. Right. So, right. Okay. So, I, and the reason why I'm asking this is because we have we had like similar challenges also where we have with Martel Invest, we're doing like a fund, a single family rental fun portfolio that oh, is you on guys, the blockchain. Yeah, you guys know everything I'm talking about. Yeah. But the, thing, the yeah. challenge is, is <laughs> yeah. that we're dealing with accredited investors, yeah. right? And I see, so this is what I'm saying is that, yeah, it's a little bit different right now is that you're communicating with everybody and saying, okay, well, you know, yeah, you can't invest right now, but this is how you invest. This is what yeah. you need to do. This is, yeah, you can invest with us, but you can okay, go there. Right? I'm going to give you everything I'm doing. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> so the... Are, that's, we, are we recording? That, that's, the first, <laughs> that, that's the first part, right? Yeah. Uh, I like the idea of building a wide mm -hmm. audience, mm -hmm. which gives you the ability to plug in verticals. Yep. Yeah. But even creating wide, you're still going to have a percentage in there that are accredited. Yeah. So talking about something macro and then using your target marketing or even your organic sales side to speak just to accredited. Mm -hmm. So that's one part yeah. of it. Two... I still do the old school stuff. I'm still at dinners. Yeah, I'm still, yeah. I try to be everywhere yeah. and I try to have everyone know what I do. Yeah, yeah. So using social media, even from a personal brand side, yeah. we invest in single family residents. We invest in this area. This is what we do mm -hmm. so that when somebody is having a conversation and maybe somebody goes, I want to get into flipping. I have no yeah. clue yeah. what to do. I actually don't even know if I want to do the work. Then they go, Oh, Yeah. I know who to hit up, right? Yeah. So you, yeah. you, you want to create all these different avenues or yeah. funnels into what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and then the paid advertising stuff too. Yeah. Paid advertising, you get more focused on on who your exact yeah. avatar yeah. is. So you it's, guys it's, hard to find, it's hard to target or impossible yeah. to target the accredited investor. It's easier than you think. Oh, really? Yeah. We are recording. Uh, so, <laughs> do tell. so what platforms are you guys advertising on facebook instagram youtube we primarily advertise paid advertising on facebook instagram yeah, those are the ones we primarily and then how are you targeting it down to hit up those accredited investors I, we don't i we bring on a firm that does all of that oh you do okay okay, okay. We'll to get if you guys want me to <laughs> see that yeah. i mean we are doing some things right because i think we're trying to be kind of like the funnel of Single family rental right. investing, and then we have, I have we have lots of conversation with different individuals and say, okay, well, I want to be more hands on, or I have a lot of money, I just want to do a cool turnkey. I want to buy ten properties right, right now. Well, well, you have Martel Turnkey, or you have Flip System, yeah. right. or I'm an accredited investor. I want to, you know, do that, and you know, you can go to Martel Invest. So we are trying to be kind of like that hub, and then we direct them to the the different verticals. Right. Now, so. Yeah, very similar. Ours was like a single family home investment fund with as little as 50 bucks. Yeah. So anybody with $50 could come and invest. We're applying for the Reg A right now. Yeah. And I'm just like, keep posting organically, like both of us. Right. <clears throat> But it's just like getting there. It's just like very similar to you. Like, just like if you could just open, like, open, like what Grant Cardone did, just be able to open it up. Right. to everybody right. you know for like yeah. oh it's $500 $100 but right. then having your right. brand and marketing behind it making right. it fun and cool and right. interactive right so the reg a plus the regulation plus is the next one mm -hmm. yeah uh, we're about to go we're about to turn we're about to start the process of you know don't know how many rounds it's going to be but we're, yeah. we're going to start going through that process now mm -hmm. okay beautiful. Beautiful. that can be fun six Fund six is going to get there. Right. Correct. So we're, we're hoping that it's launched this oh, year. Oh, that's going to be rough. Yeah, reggae is going to be crazy. Yeah, it's oh. going to be crazy. But I, I've been, I've, I, 
I've wanted a reggae since 2017. The second I saw yeah, this thing, yeah. I wanted it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it, it's a, it's a monster. Oh, I mean, yeah. you go from, I don't yeah. know, we have, you know, we have 400 investors right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I was talking to, uh, Ryan who works with Grant today. And he was like, oh, yeah. we have 12,000 investors. We need 120,000. I'm like, <laughs> dang, I'm out here trying to get to a thousand, but yeah, it's, yeah. It, you know, it, it, yeah. you, you expand smaller investors. So the management of it is, yeah, I think it's going to be heavy, but I yeah. think it's rad. Yeah. I think it's really yeah. rad. Yeah. Yeah. Because it completes your mission. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's the same for us too. I mean, we're trying to solve problems. That's what, that's, that's right. why we're doing this. I mean, we, we started with Markel Turnkey and then we talked to investors and say, oh, no, I don't have $30,000 to, to invest in Turnkey rent. Exactly. I want to do my own birth. Okay. Right. And then we kind of like started with the, the Markel investors. Well, then you can invest $50, you know, and then get the same advantages right. that you would of real estate, of real estate, investing in real estate. And now we're doing the, the, the flip system and all that. So, I love yeah, that. Yeah, just solving problem, listening to your investors That's and right. solving yeah. other problems. That's right. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever think about like taking all the because now you know you have that first company, the the brewery, the beer company. Now you have this. Have you thought about then doing more like private equity in terms of bringing on new, finding the twenty seven year old Mikey that has X Y Z startup, plugging in, playing, and having a whole slew of companies. Yes, uh, just not right now. Yeah. It, it, so what I didn't, so I I decided to get involved just in our community. I ended up running. Oh, yeah, 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 I saw yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just now getting to the point where I have the business and that back to a system. Yeah. What, you know, you, you guys kind of touched on it. And I think this is the hardest part for probably entrepreneurs is we definitely think anything's possible mm-hmm. and we have a eye for seeing opportunity. Mm-hmm. But that could also be tough because you get stuck in this. I'll do all these things. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what I'm trying to do well, I should say what we are trying to do well with commune is build our fund correctly first yeah. and, and, and have that thing to the point where it's on cruise control, then introduce the next vertical yeah. and our real estate in the last two years has finally got to that point where like, here we go. So if I were to guess, I think we've got another couple years until that's where I want it to be until we start talking about something else. But if we did like commune venture or something like that, exactly, that'd be awesome. I wouldn't, I wouldn't build it. I I would, I would probably look for uh, a partner that we would bring yeah, in yeah, and, yeah. and have them be the face or the, the youth of, yeah, of yeah, what's yeah. next. That's the idea. Yeah. Well, like for, and then why did you land on real estate too? Cause it's not like you said, Oh, I was a big real estate investor. Like well, like yeah. Okay. So this, yeah. <laughs> and then did you bring a real estate guy this, in? Yes. Yeah, really good over. question. Really yeah. good question. So I was investing in storage. Okay. Oh, okay. Storage was like the first commercial real estate I was investing in. And when, I was originally pitched on storage. I, I didn't even know the questions asked. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, what should I be asking? <laughs> yeah. But once I started getting the checks, the, the distributions are paid out quarterly. There was something about that where I was like, this check's coming every quarter. Yeah. And I'm not saying real estate, can't, real estate can go wrong and yeah. that check cannot come. Yeah. But I found that I had a different type of confidence in the future distributions with real estate than maybe I had in other investments. And I just found myself moving more of my portfolio or the allocation going heavier into that and not as much into, let's say the market or startups. Then when I had basically the idea of commune, I was really thinking about skaters at that point. I was really trying to crack this code for my community, which was how do I figure out a solution so that these skaters don't go broke yeah. and end up begging for a job in the warehouse at the sh- at the sponsor they once had. Yeah, yeah. And it's not to diss anyone in the warehouse. It just seemed like they had the potential yeah, yeah. to go up here and they weren't maximizing it, had to start kind of more at the, at the beginning stage again. And so uh, when I was looking at investments, I wanted something that I felt confident in being there when their career ended. And the challenge we have with skaters, and then it ended up crossing over into all these different uh, sports. And now why we have a lot of our investors being athletes mm-hmm. is 
One, athletes are young. And so when you're young, you're typically looking for growth, right? You're not usually looking for cash flow yet. You yeah, want to yeah. grow your wealth and you start moving over to hybrid, then you start going into cash flow is the typical trend. So I had to figure out how to grow wealth, but also athletes are relying on sponsors. That's their income. And when their income goes away, the last thing that's ever going to change, as we know, is lifestyle. So as you're trying to figure out what you're going to do next, you're burning cash. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to figure out what the wealth build and cash flow aspect could be. And then on top of that, skaters and most athletes have a very high risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. Like they'll swing for the fences. And real estate to me seemed like that perfect one, which could give cash flow, could give appreciation, and could be there for them mm -hmm. when their career ended. So that's what I ran with. Yeah, Got it. yeah awesome. I interviewed a few uh, a few professional players like football, soccer, uh, what else? Baseball and stuff like that. And just yeah, I mean that's this is the thing is that they start and they know like from the beginning that is the end the end is near already. Like when you start your career professionally, right. you know the end is near. So right. you start the smart one start preparing for the end. Right. Like right up front. So, okay, I'm doing way more money than I. I should be making right now, I'm going to put a lot of it away and I'm going to start planning right. for something else. Right. And most of them, uh, they invest at least a portion of it in real estate. Right. So unless they have some kind of other business idea. So, so I think, yeah, I think you're, you're skateboarding and you, you being a professional skateboarder and all of that, and then kind of like probably attracted other, Yeah. You know? I think it helps me, uh, it helped resonate yeah. because I speak the language yeah. in, in some regard. And then what I learned is outside of skateboarding, when you start getting like football or basketball, mm -hmm. they don't, they don't trust people on the outside. It takes them a lot of time to, to yeah. trust somebody who, who isn't like them, the yeah, sense yeah. of an athlete. Yeah. And I found that it, I think I was able to bridge that gap faster than if I was just a random dude who invested in real estate and maybe played sports in high school. Yeah. Uh, and I think that saved a lot of time. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, yeah because I think, uh, yeah, I think you're looking at. But then people. the challenge is this one. Yeah, you're a skater. I mean, what <laughs> does a skater know about real estate? So it didn't all come with. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. There yeah. was there was Did challenges. You get that objection a lot. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still get it. Yeah. 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 You'll be managing a four billion dollar fund. And you'll still get it. Like it's yeah, 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 that's yeah. part of the game, yeah. especially the institutional side. Yeah. Did yeah. you start off with self-storage then? And now what do you guys do? Self-storage and multifamily? So I start, okay. So me personally, as an investor, uh, it was storage and then, uh, on the equity side. And then I was participating in a debt fund as well for commercial real estate, no multifamily. When I remember I was telling you, I didn't know how fund management worked. Yeah, yeah, I brought yeah. it to the storage guys I was investing with, mm -hmm. brought on my business plan. And I was like, guys, how do I do this part? Who are the people that I need to bring on? Not even thinking like maybe they could be my partners. Yeah, I was just like, that's what can I was you educate you me? What you ended up doing for that. Yeah. So I was expecting an education moment and they asked if they could keep my business plan and we'll talk next week, something like that. And I was talking to one of them. This was a group of, a group of guys. And then the next week I come into a meeting and it's all three of them. Mm -hmm. And they began to pitch me on the idea of us starting a fund together. And so how it worked, they had one management company. You guys are going to know this, but maybe I'll, for the, for the audience, when you create a fund, you don't own the fund, the investors own the fund. So you create the management company that manages the fund and then you the get GPA some type of part correct. Yeah. And so they owned a management company that was managing the storage portfolio that I was investing in as a passive investor. And then the same management company, uh, managed the debt fund. Yeah. Right. So then we created a new management company together, which was Common Capital. Mm -hmm. And then we created a new fund, which was multifamily. Mm -hmm. Even though I loved storage as an investment, there was something about multifamily that I felt I was more drawn to with the creative side of things. Storage is <laughs> phenomenal investment. It's a bunch of garages, yeah. right? Yeah. Where multifamily, you, you, you're talking, even with, with single family, even more so, you're talking about somebody's home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now you have the opportunity to create an experience and a yeah. vibe and something yeah. special. Oh, yeah. And so I was really drawn to multifamily because of that. So then we started our multifamily fund and we use a lot of the tactics we use with St. Archer. Mm -hmm. They weren't doing that on the storage or lending portfolio. Their growth came from just great performance, mm -hmm. phenomenal track record, 
uh, a lot of trust from investors and then investors would tell other investors the more traditional way. Well, multifamily, all of a sudden, we started getting brokers calling us who had no relationship with us, trying to give us off-market deals as if we'd been working with them for a decade. Yeah. We had investors coming. We all lent all this energy coming towards this fund, and we were growing. And they looked around and went, this is insane. Mm -hmm. Then we started having the conversation of what it would look like to merge the companies together, which really meant merging the management companies. Oh, wow. And so we started having that conversation took us another year, we ended up merging the management companies together. Then the storage portfolio and the debt portfolio that I had been investing in passively forever, then took under the commune yeah, umbrella. Really awesome. Awesome. And then from there, the company, we started, you know, at least on my end, once we merged, raising capital for all three, looking for deal flow for all three. And then we spun up a new debt fund and then we spun up a new multifamily fund. And then we're going to spin up the, the reggae will be the next one. Wow. That's, oh, awesome. that's awesome. And that reggae is going to focus in real estate too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. 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 Yeah. How that's works. really cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised yeah. that they, they, they were actually ma merged, merged in the management company. I mean, I'm a very generous person, but I was just like, I don't know if I would, if I spent a lot of time, you know, building that management company. Mikey had something that they wanted. Yeah, <laughs> depends, honestly, to do right, it. depends how you look at it, right? Yeah, like yeah. if you look, let's say you, let's say we're the management companies, yeah. right? And I have something that you don't have yeah. and you have something that I don't have. Yeah. Potentially looking at the size of them and what the dilution would be to come together, you're basically making the argument of, can I grow this thing to a point where the return that I'm going to make yeah. is more than if I would ever do this by myself, yeah, right? Would I rather own 100% of something small or 10% of something massive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at least for myself and the partners, we all landed on, let's take this thing to the moon. And yeah, yeah. I'm oh, okay cool. if I don't own 50%. So obviously you had something great going on. We saw, we had something, yeah, we had, we, where it really started getting special is when, it, it, it was a point where about 50% of our capital stacks started coming from social. Wow. And then it was like, yeah, was we looked at each other and went, Holy smokes. Well, it was insane too. Like even wow. like Martel Turnkey too. Like, you know, we, we couldn't believe that we were selling single family rentals on Instagram. Right. It was like, right. what the hell is going on? Right. It's like, this is impossible. Right. Still then, sold some yeah, last week. Yeah. Right. It was just, yeah. just insane. It's I mean, insane. Yeah. It's insane. It's just like, yeah. But yeah, so I, I could see that. I mean, this is an unbelievable value. That these guys were not even looking at social media. You know, they were kind of, yeah. you know, this, yeah. you open up a brand new door of millions of people that, yeah. Say, oh, yeah, that's that. And then that's, with the reggae. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and for me, I, like, I will never build something by myself. Mm -hmm. I, I, I know my skills. I know my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And, and one thing I have to have always is, as an operator, I'm not an organized, mm -hmm. keep everything moving efficiently. Yeah. I'm a, this is where we're headed. I'm going to push us really hard to get there. And if somebody's not controlling the, the guardrails, yeah. this thing's going to go off course. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Someone's got to be the runner. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I have that in my partners and we have something very interesting where they have been doing this so long yeah. that you have a gap of, of age and of wisdom. And yeah. what we, what we found is I typically, I, I'm going to go faster than they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And they're going to go slower than I want to go. Yeah. And then we end up meeting in this middle ground that is, I think actually really good for both of us mm -hmm. where I'm not missing, you know, detail or putting ourselves in risk because I'm going too fast. And we're actually now growing at a rate by not going too slow. And it, we found it to be really beneficial. Oh, yeah. So you yeah. have synergy yeah. and balance. Yeah. 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 I was talking to a really successful fund manager not too long ago. They're at like almost 30 billion That's AUS. Insane. Wow. And they got very big, very fast by their strategic partnerships. Mm -hmm. And that's what we all believe too, is the power of strategic partnerships right. of who's going to right. balance out your weakness and also add that value for you to get from fund one to fund five, right. where you guys are at now. Right, right, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Right, right. Yeah. And are you guys, where are you guys doing most of these deals in right now? Location-wise? Yeah. So our storage is, our storage uh, model is a little bit niche, so it makes it difficult to hone in on one area. Mm -hmm. 
basically we buy distressed big box retail. So we look for Kmart's or okay. Walmart's or Bed Bath and Beyond's that go vacant. Mm -hmm. And then we want to repurpose them into storage. Uh, it's been a phenomenal investment for us. It's difficult to do though. As, yeah. as you guys can imagine, yeah. cities are not that stoked on storage. Typically yeah. they want to put storage on the outskirts yeah. and our model, that's not the case. So, uh, that one we're kind of all over the place. Multifamily, on the other hand, we have a, an ability to be more targeted because multifamily in so many areas is such a need. Mm -hmm. And so our newest fund actually is hyper-focused on California, which makes no sense for a lot of investors. Yeah. A lot of investors stay away from California. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, we're, we're, <laughs> Especially we, rentals. Yeah, yeah but you know, there, yeah. there's a, I, I get it, but at least our philosophy is we like building where it's difficult to because one, it keeps competition out. Mm -hmm. And two, if it's more difficult to build, in theory, you have the ability to make a higher return. Mm -hmm. And California is what we know. We've been investing there for a long time. So we kind of focus on California. Wow. To me, Matt, that's not that's my really biggest cool. problem with What's your biggest problem? My the biggest political problem aspect and regulation? Yes. That's yeah, right, so. yeah. And then the inability to increase the ramps so, to match the... Oh, but if you guys are... Correct. Building, when you build, okay, so you, you're right. If you're buying, uh, if you're buying stabilized assets or mm -hmm. even value-add assets, mm -hmm. that's difficult. Mm -hmm. What we do is look for something that we can repurpose, redevelop. Mm -hmm. So we're, in a lot of cases, scraping and then building. Oh, and wow. so the majority of our value add comes from the build and then yeah. wherever you know market rents are, that's where our rents are established. And then future growth is capped yeah. in some sense. Um, but what we found is even by going through that whole process of, of the build in an area that is difficult to build mm -hmm. and why we have issues in California, like we are extremely undersupplied. We are so oh, far yeah, undersupplied. Yeah. I'm not sure where we're going to hit equilibrium in my lifetime. Yeah, that they, keep, they keep building office towers. I'm just like, it, yeah. where are people coming from? Where are they going to live? They're going to commute three hours away. I don't Correct. Think so. so with that model, we get the biggest pop from uh -huh. the build. Yeah. And then if the rent growth, even if it's just naturally, uh, we hit the numbers that we're attempting to hit. Mm -hmm. wow, that's yeah. great. The exit is uh, is basically is a cash flow, is a refi, or is it, you're not reselling it? Yet? Good question. So, oh, let me see how I can explain this. Uh, <laughs> we okay. The very first thing we ask ourselves when we look at a deal is, do we want to own this thing for ten years? Mm -hmm. Does this product have demand for ten years? Mm -hmm. And then we we basically underwrite it in an all cash basis, unlevered. And if we think there's going to be demand in 10 years, we're going to hit the rents we're going to hit and the return is in our threshold, we're pretty comfortable with building. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we won't sell it earlier. Yeah. Well, like when you're going through the, the value add kind of opportunity, your highest IRR, if you're at least showing IRR is going to be on a shorter timeline, yeah, right? So if you're like, it takes you two years to build, you're stabilizing your three, Somewhere around your four or five is going to be a high, high IRR. Mm -hmm. And then the longer you hold it, you're actually going to start seeing the IRR drop. Mm -hmm. What we kind of look at is we're holding this thing for 10, but if we get an offer along the way for something okay. that we can't say no to, yeah. we're going to sell it. Uh, that happened to us twice last year on two apartments. Yeah. No desire to sell. Yeah. Uh, the numbers made no sense for us to hold. Yeah. And so we sold it. Yeah, same thing for us. Too. Yeah. 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 Some apartment buildings do that. Okay, that you really want it, obviously. Right. That's, every, that's, yeah. that's every, every building we bought, we're like, never going to sell yeah. this shit. Yeah. 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 Three but years later. But it's yeah. interesting when, when you think of it through the lens of demand, yeah. right? If you're like, oh, oh, let's take a step back. In real estate, we get so caught up on cap rates. Mm. And understandably right now, I understand why there's a big conversation on interest rates. But we're focused on cap rates and valuations in theory, if there's product for, let's say, if there's demand for your product 10 years from now, it doesn't really matter what interest rates do yeah. or cap rates do in the interim mm -hmm. if there's nothing that's forcing you to sell. Mm -hmm. There's nothing forcing you to sell. But if, so you, what? But if you're you're, uh, you're holding these properties unlevered or you have... No, we, so we, we underwrite them yeah. unlevered. Yeah. And then we start looking at what it does the numbers to yeah. add leverage to it. Yeah. Uh, the, why we do it that way is you can financially engineer 
a deal on paper to make it look really <laughs> good. Made, yeah. Everything or always really looks bad. Great yeah. On a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 you can you can sell anything or you can put yourself in a position of never acting yeah. by doing that. Yeah. So we tend to look at it unlevered uh, as just a, a view of, is this a good deal? Right. Then we start yeah. adding debt to it. And when you add leverage later on, when you do your refi, you do it at full loan to value? On the refi? Yeah. Correct. Well, what do you mean by full well, loan to value? So the, the maximum of what the yeah, bank yeah. will give us or yeah, the, the lender right, will yeah. give us loan to value? Yeah. Or are you looking at cash flow and saying kind of like, I'm going to do... It's a good 40% question. loan to value yeah. and then so that it cash flows at a good rate. It's a good question and it depends. Okay. Um, I would say the, the the most recent example, we refied a property about two years ago. And what the lender offered was like, let's call it 68% LTV. Mm-hmm. And and that was like the, the, the ceiling. Uh, we actually had an opportunity where we could de-risk it or, or have less leverage and it qualified for a better interest rate. Yeah. And so we actually decided to put money into the deal to refi instead of pull it out, which is not normal. Mm-hmm. But by doing so, we were able to lock in a 2.6% interest rate for 10 years, which I mean, we, this is unheard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we ended up deciding to do it, do that. And I remember it was at least for me, an uncomfortable conversation. We did our investor update. Yeah, to really. say yeah. that yeah. we actually put money into the deal yeah. as opposed to pulling it out because that's typically what you're yeah. targeting. Is you the cash a capital refund. call or you just like, no, yeah, that's, yeah. we had cash okay. in, in the fund. Okay. Um, and I remember going, gosh, this is going to be a hard pitch. Yeah. <laughs> and then we did it. And then a year later, interest rates start rising like they did. And we now had a very attractive, assumable loan. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. there was somebody who had an exchange and they were looking out going, uh, that 2.6 looks really nice. And what the lender basically said, they thought they can get this price for us and end up trading for an extra million bucks because of the loan. That's and wow. then you tell the investors, the investors are like, thank you so much yeah. for putting yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, so, so sometimes we will, sometimes we won't. Uh, I, I would say we take a little bit more of a conservative outlook mm-hmm. where just because you qualify for the loan doesn't mean you should always take it. Yeah, yeah. So for example, on our storage portfolio, we have about a 50% debt ratio for the maybe globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could go higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Ask them where can people find you yes. online? Uh, any platform. Uh, Mikey Taylor. I'm, I, I come up at the that's, top that's right now. That's what you do. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, if you can, yeah. if you can yeah. find him, yeah. I'm, you know. I'm, uh, yeah. Mikey on all the platforms. Uh, my, my company is Commune Capital. Our website is communecapital.com and we are Commune Capital on all the platforms as well. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you Mike. Thank, Thank you, Josh, Antoine. Yep. And see you next week.